Grace, mercy, and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. be seated. The Reformation. Why do we remember it? Why do we mark it with great hymns like those we have just sung and will sing? And why do we remember it within a beautiful liturgy that dates back to the 1500s? Why do we give thanks to God for and remember Martin Luther, his hammering the 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg, and his courage to stand up against princes, kings, the Roman Catholic Church, even in the face of threats against his life? Why is it important to mark this day each year? The reason is simply sin. Satan crouching at the door with his ever-present message that there must be something good in us that adds to the merits of Christ. In Luther's time, it was the demands of the Roman Catholic Church that one must merit salvation based on their own works, works for the salvation of themselves and even their loved ones. There was no peace in the church, only uncertainty. There was the ever-boding ever question of have I done enough? Have I confessed enough? Have I repented enough? Have I appeased God's righteous and holy wrath against my sin? Will I inherit eternal life? For Luther, even as he lived as a monk in one of the strictest monastic groups, the Augustinians, he was left with troubling thoughts and sleepless nights of terror. He would return to his father confessor time and time again, even moments after just confessing his sins, only to confess more so as not to die without having confessed and been given the proper penance to do. Penance, that needful thing that would make up for his transgressions, adding to what Christ had done. The devil would have him believe he had not done enough himself. This only led to despair, fear, and even hatred of God. Hatred towards a God that would demand so much from Luther, who realized his own weakness and inability to live up to God's demands. Demands that he be perfect, even as his and our Father in heaven is perfect. He had come, if not to the point, but darn close to the point of all God's created, that they will come on the last day, the day of judgment, under the conviction of God's law. It was all he knew. Do this, don't do that. Admonish yourself in every way, even to the point of physically punishing and beating yourself. Yet it was not enough. Our reading from Romans opens with, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Under the law, there is no explaining that can be done before God Almighty on the last day, or any day for that matter. There is no self-defense that will bring peace to one's troubled conscience now or bring redemption on the last day. If we try this, our mouths will be stopped. They will be shut by the power of God on the last day as we stand before Him in complete and total awe. All will be accountable to God. The law is expressed in Romans 3.23 in our epistle, for all have sinned 
and fallen short of the glory of God. To fall short of the glory of God is quite simply not to live a sinless life, one that is pleasing to God, keeping the Ten Commandments in all their depth and meaning. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Who of us has done that? Who of us can possibly rehabilitate ourselves and never fail to love God and our neighbor completely? It matters not. The damage is already done. Thanks be to God that the Reformation is not over. Oh, Pastor Grady, are you telling us the Lutheran church is still being reformed? Well, yes and no. The doctrine and teaching does not need reformation, but we as sinners need to constantly be reformed and reminded of those blessed teachings of salvation by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. One of Luther's contemporaries, Erasmus, wrote a little ditty, a book that attacked Luther called A Diatribe on the Freedom of the Will. In it, he concluded that because human beings made choices between good and evil or better and worse, and because they were commanded to do so by God, they had to be able to do so. The conclusion he came to was that we must at least have a modicum of free will that could express itself in making some contribution to the grace of God. Erasmus believed that we must be capable of earning some of that grace based on our own merit. True religion, as understood by Erasmus, was basically a matter of the inclination of the heart, the wisdom that filled the mind and an attitude of love for one's neighbor. True faith was in one's feelings and therefore actions that earned the favor of God to at least some degree. This was the very thing Luther was fighting in the Reformation. This line of thought that we would, that we would and could participate in our salvation, no matter how little. It could only lead to fear, despair, and loss of faith in a loving and forgiving Heavenly Father because our own inability to possibly do enough to merit salvation. There were over 200 biblical citations that Erasmus had made in his diatribe. Luther, to support his position, painstakingly took months and months to answer each one in detail. Part of his response to Erasmus, written in Luther's work, The Bondage of the Will, is thus. Luther granted that free choice is allowed man, but only with respect to what is beneath him, that is, temporal and earthly things, and not what is too above him, that is, heavenly and divine things. Human beings did have dignity, Luther said. God did not create the kingdom of heaven for geese. Luther had a strange sense of humor. Everything that related to the divine was another matter. We are born sinful, blind, dead, and enemies of God, incapable of moving toward the righteousness of God. He borrowed an illustration from Augustine to make this point. The human will is like a beast between God and Satan. If God sits on it, it wills and goes where God wills it go. If Satan sits on it, it wills and goes where Satan wills. Nor does it have the power to choose which rider will go or seek. But the riders struggle over which of them will have it or rule it. 
Not even the most faithful people have any choice in this matter. Even so, for Luther, the outcome of this cosmic and unseen struggle has never been in doubt. In Christ, God has won the victory. It is finished. The devil, working in our sinful nature, wants us to forget that it is finished. Satan wants us to falsely revel and trust in what we do for God, not in what God, it through his Son, Jesus Christ, has done for us. The Reformation continues in us as we are ever reminded that the battle has already been won by Christ Jesus. The baptized into him at the font, the victory is won. Our lives are hidden in him as we hear his word and receive his sacrament. This gift of faith is preserved, strengthened, and perfected until the last day. It is God's work in us that saves us, not our work for God that would have us earn our salvation in any way, shape, or form, no matter how small. To go on believing, we must attain some level of fulfillment of the law that God has given in order to merit the benefits of the crucified Christ is to place oneself fully under the law. Romans 3.19, again, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. It is saying, shut your mouth. Quit trying to defend your actions. It's no use. Shut up. Our mouths are stopped. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since the law comes, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Roman goes on, Romans goes on, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, And all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, that is an atonement by his blood to be received by faith. In John's gospel, Jesus is speaking to Jews who believe in him, yet they still see themselves as meriting the grace of God as descendants of Abraham, claiming they have been slaves to no one. But they were still slaves to sin, the sin they commit daily and the sin of trusting in their bloodline to Abraham versus trusting in the promise that was made to Abraham, the promise of a Savior that was fulfilled in the one standing right before them. We too are slaves to sin in this life, on this side of creation. But Christ has paid the price of that sin. He has atoned for it purchased us and made us heirs of his kingdom. In the heavenly realms, we are no longer slaves, but free, with our names written in the Lamb's book of life. The Son has set us free. We are free indeed. This is the ongoing reformation, that our hearts and minds would always be fixed on Christ Jesus, the Word who has given us the gift of eternal life, and by the power of the Holy Spirit given us faith to believe in this gift no matter what the world, the devil, and all around us might say or do. It's the same word that Luther so wonderfully wrote of. 
the word they still shall let remain, nor any thanks have for it. He's by our side upon the plain with his good gifts and spirit. And take they our life, goods, fame, child, and wife. Though these all be gone, our victory has been won. The kingdom ours remaineth. In the name of Jesus. Amen.